Charles Harper Webb is a multi-award winning author, a foremost proponent of stand-up poetry and the editor of several anthologies, along with being a professor in English at the California State University. Ursula Lake is his first novel, and we'll talk about that in today's episode of the Writer's Corner live show. Don't go away, we will be right back. If you are just joining us, then welcome to the Writer's Corner live show. I'm your host, Brigitte Limbanda from Cape Town in South Africa. And in today's show, we're going to be talking to Charles Harper Webb. If this is your first time watching us, do let us know. We'd be happy to give you a shout out to welcome you. Our show today is made possible by Creative Edge, StreamYard and BeLive Media. So a special warm welcome. If you're watching us over on Amazon Live, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on YouTube, um, and also over on Twitter, a warm welcome to all of you. One of the things that Mary and I are very passionate about um, is helping authors level up. Now, uh, a lot of authors are still um, using an online method to promote their work. Hybrid seems to be the way forward, um, although we are hearing more and more authors are starting to do uh, in-person book events. So. One of the things we do is give you a few quick tips to level up. And one of the things you can do, we've, we know that a lot of authors go live using their phones and there's nothing wrong with that. Phone cameras are just amazing. But if you ever wondered what those black lines on the side of your phone is and why you're having to try and fight for uh, real estate on the screen with, between yourself and your book, um, a simple trick is to turn your phone from portrait, which most people use, into landscape it'll get rid of the black lines and you'll have a bigger space um, in which to comfortably talk to your audience the other thing you want to do is to secure your phone on a tripod any kind of tripod because if you try and hold your phone in your hand while you're trying to talk about your book um, it's going to make people seasick because it's impossible to hold your phone still so those are just some of the tips that we like to share with um, our audience and with that, before we bring on our amazing guest for today, Charles Harper Webb, I want to say hello to my friend and co-host Mary Elizabeth Jackson first, because she is also an award-winning author. She's a ghostwriter, a disabilities um, advocate, and do check out her latest release, Cheers from Heaven. Mary, how are you today? Welcome. <laughs> I was muted. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here today. And um, I'm so looking forward to talking to our author. We just get, we've been so lucky for four years to be able to talk to just the most amazing people and their journeys. And I, every week I'm inspired. And when I get off the show, all I want to do is share them with other people, you know? I know. I, I keep telling people myself, you know, it's crazy that after uh, four years, 
I have not grown tired of meeting new authors. I'm always looking forward to hear what their story is and how they got to write. Um, you know, every story is just so completely different. Um, I just love what we do. So for those of you who's not met Charles Harper Webb yet, he is a multi-award winning author a former proponent of stand-up poetry, and we're going to ask him really, really nicely <laughs> if he would read us one of his poems. Um, he's also the editor of several anthologies. He is a professional rock singer, guitarist, and a licensed psychotherapist and a professor of English at the California State University. So definitely he wears many, many, many hats. And this is his first novel. So let's um, give him a warm welcome to the show, shall we? Well, I feel very welcome. Thank you. Hi, <laughs> Hi Charles. Hi. Welcome to the show. We have we have a live band. They'll be here later. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's I amazing. Say, I, I'm not I'm not playing in rock bands now. I did that for quite a while, but I can't wear all those hats at the same time. Uh, my head's not big enough. Yeah. Well, I was going to say creative people are, you know, we have a lot of stuff going on. We just, our creativity just kind of goes here and there and all over yeah. the place, doesn't it? So, Charles, how did you get started um, in writing and where did your love for poetry come from? Because that's what you're most known for. Was mm -hmm. it a natural thing? Is it something your parents nurtured? Um, how did this, yeah. how did it start for you? Well, I, um, my mother was a librarian and I grew up around books and, and, and my father uh, had done a little time in Hollywood as, as a, a comedy writer. Uh, and so I, there was a lot of literary stuff going on in my house. And uh, I, I just liked to read from a very early age. I got into poetry later. Um, I got into poetry because a friend of mine showed me Allen Ginsberg's work when I was in, in high school. And, and I started working on that too. So I, I, I've tended to write fiction and poetry together um, with, with breaks where I would only do one or the other. But, but, I, but for a lot of years, I was doing nothing but poetry really, or very little but poetry. Because um, I just found that I loved I love the way that poetry allowed you to use language to its absolute utmost capacity. So that was interesting to me. I come from a verbal family, so I, I love dealing with language. There you go. There, it's very important. And you know, as an author, I know it's important uh, for me. It has been to really promote literacy and how how much that you know we have to get kids to understand it affects everywhere, every every single part of your life. And so getting them to love that early is so important, but look what it's done for you. So you're an inspiration as well as other folks that have started young in their life with that love. Look what it, where it's taken you lots of journeys. And like we, like Virgetti said, lots of hats that you wear. Um, and so that's really important and special. So what is your favorite? Do you have a favorite poetry book or a poem or a poem that you've actually written? Well, I'll, re I'll read one that I've written that uh, this one's been anthologized a few times. And since uh, since my novel 
is is about the wilderness and there's animals in that uh this is a, a i guess you could call it an ecological poem uh about how many species have gone extinct under our stewardship it's called the the animals are leaving one by one like guests at a late party they shake our hands and step into the dark arabian ostrich long-eared kit fox mysterious starling one by one like sheep counted to close our eyes they leap the fence and disappear into the woods. Atlas bear, passenger pigeon, North Island laughing owl, great auk, dodo, eastern wapiti, badlands bighorn sheep. One by one, like grade school friends, they move away and fade out of our memories. Portuguese ibic, blue buck, aurochs, Oregon bison, Spanish imperial eagle, Japanese wolf, hawksbill sea turtle, cape lion, heath hen, reatea thrush. One by one, like children at a fire drill, they march outside and keep marching, though teachers cry, come back. Waved albatross, white-bearded spider monkey, pygmy chimpanzee, Australian night parrot, turquoise parakeet, Indian cheetah, Korean tiger, eastern harbor seal, Ceylon elephant, great Indian rhinoceros. One by one, like actors, after a play that ran for years and wowed the world, they link their hands and bow before the curtain falls. Wow. Wow, wow that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for asking. Wow, that was beautiful. I'm, I, I was thinking about, you know, what is the things that I want to ask you today? And one of the questions that I came up with is, as a professor in English, are there some common writing mistakes that you see? I mean, when you read people, um, are there mistakes that you think you should avoid? I'm sorry, you broke up a little there. She said, are there mistakes as a professor in writing? Yeah, are there mistakes that you avoid, should avoid, you should tell people to avoid in writing? Well, uh, I tend to be, when people are first starting, I tend to just have them get something down on the paper. I try, I try not to be hypercritical. If they're writing anything, it's good to begin with because there's a big hump a lot of people have to get over in order to begin writing at all. Once they've they've written for a while and they're actually serious about it, um, I, I tell them, uh, one of the things I tell them to try to do is to actually be as true to their own psyche as possible. Um, by that, I mean, not to try to write something that they think they ought to write, but to write something that they really want to write, to write something that they would like to read if they were a reader. Because a lot of times people, um, they put on a writing cap, metaphorically speaking, and then they just change their whole personality and they become stilted and inauthentic and they're not going to write anything good that way. I mean, I, I believe that if you if you're going to write well you have to learn to tap into the parts of you which are unique 
and and that's where your vision will come across. I got all kinds of of little you know mechanical things I, I talk about, but that's a that's a a kind of global issue to to write out of your own psyche, you know, authentically, and then you're you're halfway home. Mm, you know, I couldn't 100%. help thinking when you, like Charles, I couldn't help when you had mentioned that people need to write from their own authentic uh, voice. I was listening to something the other day, and I thought this is fairly similar. Um, someone who was teaching um, vocals said that a lot of singers try and sing like someone else. And mm. she said, you know, you your voice is unique. Use your own voice. Never model it after someone else's. Uh, is that kind? And, and I thought that's possibly the same thing you were saying here is write it, it is. you know, be true to yourself. Don't try and be another author. Yeah, I mean, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, virtually every good artist begins by modeling themselves after someone. I mean, you find somebody that you like and you want to sound like them. That's part of the learning process. But but ultimately, um, what, what a, a person has to offer as an author is that person's sensibility, that person's psyche. Uh, you know, like like I, I admire Fyodor Dostoevsky. I mean, uh, what novelist doesn't? But anyway, I mean, we've already got one. You don't need another. Even if I could model him, even if I could copy him, he's already done it. So I don't have, that's not what I have to offer. I have to offer my vision. For better or worse, that's what I have to offer. And I say you, you know, for a writer, you put that on the page and then, the, let the chips fall where they may. You can't predict if you're going to be Shakespeare or you're going to be a non-entity. Most most authors are forgotten, you know, the year after they die. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, Keats, John Keats, the poet, famously thought and said that he thought that his his name was written in water, which is a great image for saying he he thought you know he's going to be forgotten just like that. The poor guy dies at the age of 26, and here I am, 200 plus years later, mentioning his name. He would be astounded, but you can't predict it. You just you just have to give what you can, and that's your own vision. Right, you, and you know you. Um, that's such an important point because, um, and that's so that's 100 true about singers. Um, and, you know, we have a friend, uh, Stuart Pierce, and he talks about talking from the heart and letting that come up in your voice. Hmm. And that's what makes somebody authentic and gives them their power. So you're saying exactly the same thing. And, you know, you are known very well for your poetry. What, you know, one of the questions we have is how did you segue into a novel? Because that, I mean, that is a switch. You know, when, especially when you're genre hopping, that's what I call it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's totally a different thing. So how did you like segue into, um, you know, writing a novel from poetry? Well, I, I've always been interested in narrative. Um, when I was an undergrad, I was writing poetry and short stories at the same time. Um, I just, I, a lot of my poems have narrative elements to them. And it just seemed to me that uh, I should give a shot to actually writing a full-on uh, narrative. Um, the I, I think I think the it's difficult to write a 
contemporary epic poem, let's say. And that, that you know, a couple thousand years ago, that's where a narrative would have been in an, in an epic poem. But I thought, you know, I love novels. I always have. Uh, I was reading novels way before I was reading poems. And I thought, yeah, let me see. Let me take a crack at this. And I thought, you know, I thought I could tell I could tell a good story. I mean, I, that's something that I that I know I'm able to do. And so I said, let me tell a really, you know, a gripping yarn, something that uh, that's that's exciting and interesting and scary and, you know, and psychologically astute and that still has room for for uh, poetic descriptions of nature, because I'm I'm a fiend for nature. <laughs> I, I, I love fishing and I love to be out in the woods. I love I love that a lot. So I thought, let me put all these things together and uh, and see what I come up with. So what was the inspiration behind the novel, the story behind the novel? How did you get, you know, what was the idea with, with the novel? Well, the, the first, um, the, 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 the first title, the working title of the book was Canadian Adventure. I knew that would never be the title, but that's what I wanted to do because I I had gone uh, on a number of fishing trips where a friend of mine and I would just drive up into British Columbia, very far north, looking for places to fish. And, and the country is so gorgeous and so haunting and, and so beautiful and so scary. I just thought, this is a place that I would I would like to set a novel, and actually the events of the novel and everything come out of come out of my sense of what it was like to be up in those very deep woods where there's nobody around and there's nobody to save you if you get in trouble, and there's nobody there's no there's no law there's no order there's there's the there's the woods and there's the wilderness, and and the wilderness has its own rules. And I just thought, I know I can do something with that. And I and I knew I would be excited to write it because I love that country so much. Mm, that's amazing. And I just, you know, as you're talking, and I, 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 I bet Bergetti is feeling this as well. I can just picture what you're talking about, you know, um, because I, I can feel the sense of how you feel about it. And nature is really very powerful place to be. Um, for all of us, it's a very calming place. Well, it can be scary too, right? If you're out in the middle of nowhere, like you said, a bear's chasing you, you're in trouble. So, you know, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? But um, are your, the characters in your novel, are they, you know, are they, did you make them up? They fictitious or did, are they woven around actual folks that uh, in your life or maybe you people watched? <laughs> no, I think most authors, you know, work pretty much if if they're effective to create characters, they do pretty much the same thing. I mean, every character has to, if it's going to be an authentic character, has got to come out of the author's psyche. Just like an actor has got to be able to play different roles. But you know, I, I mean, the the the, I guess I that my book has three different protagonists, but the main protagonist was modeled. Um, loosely after me because it's easier to write that way. He's a musician. I was a musician. He was frustrated with his with playing the the gigs he was playing. I was frustrated that I could understand that. Um, and and I put together 
people. Um, I put uh, some, some of my characters are composites. When I was a, a, a boy in Houston, Texas, which is where I grew up, I had my very best friend was was a gigantic guy. I mean, I'm not a big guy, but this guy was like six seven. And he, the, th- the thing the thing is, uh, he was such a gentle and and decent person. He wasn't a, he wasn't gentle in a fight, but he was so good natured. I mean, he could have crushed me at any time. And it struck me, hey, I'm I'm hanging out with this guy who's a giant. Uh, so, so I had that in my mind when I was thinking, okay, who's the other character? I did it. The character in other ways is nothing like this friend, but just the idea of a really, really big guy and what that means to a relationship. How, how, how male, how males um, negotiate the power differential when one guy is clearly the physical superior. So that struck me as interesting, and that got into. That got into the story, and I mean, I, I took bit, bits and pieces, but but all from from a lot of people that I've known and people I've heard about and read about. But ultimately, every character is me. It has to be. If you know, I mean, they're all coming out of me. They're different different uh, angles, including the female character. Although I will admit that I got a lot of input from my wife. Uh, on that to make sure that that because I feel less confident writing in a woman's head than I do in a man's. I can write in a man's head any day, but you know, I mean, we're we're way more alike than we're different. But there's differences, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't make that I didn't blunder and and write things that that my wife would say, ah, woman would never do that, or that that doesn't that sounds like you. That sounds like a guy or something like that. So I did I call that research. And I always <laughs> yeah, well, have, well done. And you can't get anyone better than your wife, right? Because you know, spouses well, are just brutally honest. So Yeah, and that, she's that, really she, she's a, a confirmed reader and a very intelligent woman. And so, you know, that's what I want. Well, kudos, kudos to her. I'm always curious to find out how authors came up with the cover of their book. Can you hold up your book and just tell us a bit about the cover and how you sure. uh, decided on on the cover? This is it. Well, oh, can you see it? I'm trying to make it. Yeah, we can. Yeah, you have a good picture of it uh, in the intro part of your show. But yeah, um, I don't take a lot of credit for this. Um, the Red Hen has got really good book designs they always do and um the thing i think is so cool about this well there's a lot of things i like the colors too but the way that it makes the the trees and then the trees reflection in the water look like a mouth it looks it looks scary and uh, and they've got three three people fishing and so <clears throat> that's true but um i think the cover really evokes the kind of the kind of beauty and scariness that that um, that is in the book, and and I, the only thing I really had to do with it was to uh, say, yeah, I like that a lot, and I we adjusted the colors a little bit, but but the, all all credit to Red Hen for that. <clears throat> that that's amazing, you know, and we talk about this a lot, don't we, Bridgetti? And as authors, we talk about this a lot in that knowledge of your book cover is like your business card. I mean, your book is your business card too, but your cover is, 
it may, that's a make it or break it deal for a lot of people. They may not even get past to look at your bio or the synopsis of the book or anything right. that, that, that cover is right. going to offend them or it's going to bring them in, you know, and um, thank goodness there's so much variety out there for designs. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they will be running out of them. So can you, you know, do you have a favorite part in your book that you could read to us um, to uh, let our readers know and watchers know um, uh, more about the book? So they'll go over and get it. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, as I said, before we came on the air, uh, I, I, I like to read the beginning of the book because then I don't have to explain much. Um, this is just how the book begins. And, uh, and, and you, you get it, it spoons you right into it. Scott Murray was an hour out of Vancouver, British Columbia, heading north on Highway 97 when he saw ahead and to his right a deer sprawled in a heap beside the road. Ah, oh, man, he said. No animal on earth ever evolved to deal with cars. A sense that he as human was to blame made Scott slow down as he passed the deer and so saw its head move. Checking his mirror, no cops, no cars at all, he pulled to the road, to the, to the road shoulder and stopped. His watch said 104, but the air felt like morning, misty and cool as he eased out of his blue Datsun pickup, braced himself for what he'd see, then started down the shoulder toward the deer. Across the road, pine, spruce, and fir rose like a green fortress wall. A few feet from the gravel shoulder where he walked, a canyon plunged toward a silver creek, wriggling and glittering far below. In the States, there would have been a guardrail. In, B in BC, that's British Columbia, in BC, they would run out of guardrails long before they ran out of risky roads. Reaching the deer, a good-sized whitetail, Scott saw that, yes, it was alive. He also saw there was no hope. The creature's dark, luminous eyes stared straight ahead, its ear cups twisting as if listening for death. The deer's hind quarters were caked in blood. Its back legs were crooked, snapped. Its spine probably was too, hit most likely by a big rig that just kept blasting on. The decent thing would be to end its misery. But how? His only weapon was a hatchet in his truck. Could he, as an act of mercy, hack this deer to death? He'd read a William Stafford poem where a traveler finds a dead doe on a canyon road, drags it to the shoulder, and feels a fawn moving inside. But the deer in front of Scott was not a doe. Antlers had sprouted, four blunt prongs like velvet-covered coral. As Scott stared at the antlers, he saw that the deer's eyes were fixed on him. Fixed, he would have sworn, in pain and fear, and something else, a gratitude that he was here, a wish not to die alone. Anthropomorphizing, science would say. Still, Scott touched the creature's flank, just barely moving up and down. He felt lightheaded, probably from seeing so much blood as he stroked the quivering flank. I'm here, he told the dying animal. I'm here. 
The deer gave something like a sigh as Scott kept stroking, staring into those lucent brown eyes. What did they see, he wondered, when they looked at him? <clears throat> he pictured himself standing like a deer in thick woods, smelling the pine, the damp, the tang of leaf decay. The greenery around him swayed in a slight breeze, as if it were breathing. In his mind, he began to run. Still a man, but with the grace and power of a deer, he bounded up high hills and down, following trails that squeezed under gigantic trees and through tangles of briared brush. He ran with what felt like unlimited power and a sense that the deer had called him here for something special, something grand. Was this some kind of Keatsian reverie? Whatever it was, he kept running, the thrill turning to fear. Something was chasing him, coming up behind. He neared a chasm too wide to jump, and still he ran, ran and ran, then launched himself into the air. At that instant, the deer gave another sigh. As if unplugged, the light left its eyes. They didn't close or turn away from Scott. They simply ceased to see. And with that ceasing, his reverie or vision or whatever it had been ceased too. He stopped stroking and let his hand rest on the deer's rib cage. No movement up or down, <clears throat> stone still. Good, he told the forest, no more pain. The sight of the deer's antler buds watered his eyes. No telling how big they'd have grown, how many bucks he'd have fought, fawns he'd have sired. The antlers weren't what anyone would call a rack. Still, some driver might decide to take the head, stuff it, and mount it on a wall. That was not going to happen. No damned way. <laughs> In Stafford's poem, the speaker, knowing he couldn't save the fawn, thought hard for us all, then pushed the dead doe off a cliff. Scott gripped his deer by its forelegs and, straining every muscle he developed at the gym, dragged the creature to the edge of the drop-off. It wasn't sheer, but it was steep. Given a shove, the deer might roll all the way down. Dropping to his knees, Scott placed his hands on the still warm belly, choosing spots where the coarse red-brown hair was free from blood. Three hard shoves, and the deer was sliding, then rolling into the canyon. Scott watched it roll faster, then snag on a rock and, stab, and stop halfway to the creek. Some mountain lion, coyote, or bear might find it there. Vultures and crows would feast for sure. Anything left of the carcass would rot and bit by bit finish its journey to the creek. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're a great storyteller, Charles. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. Yes. Yes, you are. Thank you so, so much, Charles. It was amazing. Thank you for making the time to come and share um, your work with us. So much appreciated. To our viewers out there, thank you for joining us live. Thank you to the viewers who are watching this on the replay. Um, Charles, if you have advice for any writers out there. I'm sorry, you're, you break up sometimes. What I couldn't hear at all. I was just asking if you have any final word of advice for any writers out there. I think I've pretty much already given it my best shot as far as the advice goes, is just to, to follow your own vision and trust it because that's all you have to offer. That's everything. 
Mm, thank you so, so much. We, we really, really, we loved having you on. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I think that's a great piece of advice to end the show on is just be yourself right from your heart. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Writer's Corner live show. And keep writing. Mm -hmm.